Hey everyone, and welcome to the South Carolina Grower Exchange Podcast. Every week, agents, specialists, and growers from around the state chat about what's happening in the field and discuss the latest crop weather, insect, disease, and weed issues, as well as timely reminders and information related to fruit and vegetable production in South Carolina. Remember, you can read weekly field updates and register for upcoming events by visiting the SC Grower blog at sccrower.com. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the South Carolina Grower Exchange. We appreciate you taking some time to get caught up on what's happening out in the field. Uh, we've got some agent updates for us this morning, and we will go ahead and jump right in. Rob, what's happening Good. in your area? Good morning, Sarah. Well, as with everybody else, it's particularly hot here in the Midlands and very dry. So certain crops are starting to look a little bit stressed, as you'd expect. Hopefully over the weekend, we're going to get a cool down and potentially some rainfall, which will definitely help. Preparations for fall cropping continue at pace, obviously in spite of the heat and the dry conditions. Um, to, where I'm looking at, at newly transplanted fall crops, they're actually looking very good and establishing very well, moving with great growth and vigour. One thing that I am picking up in many crops, both perennial and annuals, is some nutrient deficiency symptoms. So I thought that'd be a good, that would be a good thing to talk about. Nutrient deficiencies will often show up in times of stress, but can indicate underlying soil issues. So if we take iron and manganese in acid-loving plants, things like blueberries, then those deficiencies can become much more apparent at higher soil pHs. Iron deficiency, so typically the microelements such as manganese, zinc, boron, molybdenum, and iron will display as a colorosis of the new leaves. And oftentimes what you'll find is the veins of the leaf are still very, new leaves are very, very dark green. And you'll see yellow chlorotic areas in between those veins. That's fairly characteristic of those nutrient deficiencies. The reason for that is the micronutrients tend to be less mobile in the plant and hence less easily uptaken. So there is the option to take a tissue test to ensure that we've got sufficiency levels within the leaf tissue of all of those elements and that ensures that we're going for the accurate diagnosis treatment wise chelated micronutrient formulations can be very very effective applied as a foliar spray one caution when it's as hot as the sun is so intense as it is at the moment be be aware that they can cause some scorch uh, when applied in the heat of the day i'm also picking up a few macronutrient deficiencies as well typically those will display on the older leaves um, because the, the those elements are more mobile within the plant so it's easy for the plant to pick them up out of the older leaves and move them to the new growth so nitrogen and sulfur deficiency will typically be shown as the chlorosis of the older leaves potassium will often display as intervenal chlorosis and a, almost a burn to the leaf margins and a reddening of the older leaves typically indicates a phosphorus deficiency Finally, magnesium will often display as intervenal chlorosis. It will look very similar to manganese deficiency in the new growth, but the way to tell the difference, um, the magnesium will be in the old leaves, the manganese will be in the new leaves. One thing with it, so I think that covers it for nutrient stresses. If you 
typically have any any sort of concerns, please reach out to one of us and we'll be more than happy to help. One final thing that I ought to mention, um, spider mites with the hot conditions are certainly having a field day at the moment. So keep scouting crops uh, to make sure that you're okay with those. Not picking up many diamondback moth at the moment, but they are they are around. Uh, so be aware of those as well. And Sarah, I think that pretty much covers it from me. All right, great. Well, thanks, Rob. Yeah, the like you said, the the best way to know what exactly is going on is is to just get those tissue samples so that you can be sure we have an accurate uh, account of what's happening. Absolutely, yeah, that's by far and away the best way. Yeah, and then uh, on the blog last week on the update, um, there's a picture if uh, if you were listening and and wondering what some of those deficiencies might look like, you can check last week's blog post for um, some images of that. But Rob, I appreciate your report. My pleasure, Sarah. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. We've also got Bruce with us this morning. And Bruce, I'm going to call you out and say that this will be your last update, at least as a Clemson employee on the South Carolina Grower Exchange. Um, maybe we'll have you back as a as a guest in the future, but oh, absolutely! I'd I'd love to come back on if uh, if possible. Oh yeah, that would be. I'll take you up on it. I'll warn you. Um, <laughs> but go ahead and give us an update of what's happening in the PD. So, you know, it's um, most everything on the fruit side is pretty, uh, you know, pretty well calmed down, except for, uh, you know, there is some uh, some some um, primocane blackberries that are coming, uh, coming available now and uh, quality looks pretty good on them. It's um, but, you know, quantity is going to be definitely uh, pretty limited on them, though. But uh, uh, other than that, on the fruit side, you know, muscadines are are just starting to come in good it's um on the on the fresh market side they're picking actually you know pretty well the, the quality is good the the, the volume is good so you know that's the the fresh market uh muscadines look really awesome right now the uh the wine grapes uh the wine muscadines are just starting to come in good it's uh, i was in at a vineyard uh, a little closer to the coast than what i had been looking at some of the other ones and uh, it's actually kind of surprised me. Uh, Noble, uh, which is, uh, you know, a small, small black uh, wine muscadine. Uh, actually, that particular vineyard was, um, I mean, you know, it was, it was like 70, 75 percent, uh, you know, colored. And when I say colored, you know, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, fully mature, you know, 12 to 16 percent sugar. You know, just uh, just really, um, you know, uh, really getting really close to um, to, to harvest. And um but it's uh you know that i guess that one was kind of the anomaly you know for me as far as uh you know that looking at some of the other vineyards that i've i've been looking at now carlos which is kind of the uh you know the industry standard for you know for a lot of the the uh the wineries out out there and this um now it was uh you know it's it's seems like it's uh you know a, a bit further behind which is not completely um you know uncommon uh, for Carlos, you know, this time of the year is, uh, Carlos, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it's sort of, kind of, it can be kind of the wild card. 
it's uh, some years it's a little a little um, earlier than 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 noble. Sometimes it's a little later. This particular year, it looks like it's going to be a bit later. Uh, you know, even that uh, that vineyard that I was at, it was um, you know uh, uh, probably around 35, 40 percent uh, ripe. You know, in that in that twelve to sixteen range on the bricks. Um, but you know, it, but the thing about Carlos is. It's, you know, you have to kind of, you kind of have to judge uh, the, the crop. It's uh, because Carlos is one that, that time it starts blooming in the spring, I mean, it'll, it'll bloom literally year round. I mean, well, I say year round, the whole season. And uh, so, you know, you have to, a, a lot of that fruit you kind of have to disregard. Um, you know, some of that, you basically, you just figure out sort of that first, that first uh, flush, that first, uh, you know, fruit set. And basically you go off of that. But it's um, but even with that, I think it was you know really around 35, 40 percent uh, ripe on that. You know, inland is um, it's it's not quite that far along. The I'd say probably in more like the the 20, 25 percent uh, uh, range as far as uh, you know ripe and ready to pick. But it's uh, now uh, Doreen is uh, uh, you know it's it's our late um, muscadine variety. It's uh, it's it's you know for uh, for for juice and for wine. It's uh, kind of a small football shaped uh, grape, and it's uh, now it's you know it's it's quite a bit behind. It's um, I'd say you know harvest on it's typically not until about the second, third, fourth week of uh, of September, and really this year it looks like it's pretty much on par for you know for that. But uh, but you know I was out there enjoying some of the uh, the earliest uh, earliest fruit on the Doreen because they are so so sweet, and I was actually measuring some. Uh, you know, bricks were like around 24, almost bumping 25% sugar. So, I mean, that's just, uh, that's unbelievable, on, you know, as far as for muscadine. But, uh, so, you know, harvest on, on the wine grapes is uh, is coming fast. The uh, As far as vegetables, yeah, it's a lot of our summer vegetables are still picking pretty good volumes. It's, uh, you know, it seemed like we had a little hiccup with uh, with, with okra, but it's, it seems like it's, it's starting to come back, you know, pretty strong. Uh, peppers, uh, tomatoes are just starting to pick up again, and uh, you know cucumbers are, um, are you know I've I've seen some uh, some good quality cucumbers and squash uh, being picked too. So um, and then you know a lot of the strawberry guys they're you know they're 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 getting ready. It's uh, you know they're they're kind of chomping at the bit. It's uh, the um, you know a lot of them have have put in orders and yeah you know, they're they're getting all their all their ducks in a row for uh you know for hopefully a good season coming up but i guess that's about it all right great thank you bruce um justin what kind of updates do you have for us on maybe what kind of trial work's going on this fall hey sarah uh, i'll make it a quick update but we just put in two insecticide trials this past week uh, one will be looking at a couple of, uh, I guess you could call them biological products. Uh, one is a neem product and the other is a BT product. Uh, one of the treatments, we'll just spray the BT every week and the other one will rotate the BT and the neem and, and see how that performs. Um, and that's going to be on uh, brassicas. Uh, the other one's looking at a new product for cucumber beetles and squash. Uh, that one's not registered yet, so I'll hold off on saying who that one's with. Um, but we're, um, 
hopefully going to see some decent results there. The squash we laid that trial out in is just starting to bloom. So hopefully we'll get started on that trial real soon. Uh, coming a little bit later, uh, doing a trial with uh, Tony Kineth, uh, looking at alternaria management and kale. We're going to try a couple different varieties along with a couple of different biological fungicides. Uh, so hopefully we'll see something that works there. Uh, but that's about all for now. All right. Thanks, Justin. So we've also got a couple more um, non-regulars with us this morning. Uh, Dr. Tom Bilbo is with us. And what kind of a what kind of an update do you have for us? Hey, Sarah. Yeah, I haven't really been out to uh, too many farms and recently, but a couple things that have I've been getting asked about um, regarding, uh, you know, cucurbits and tomatoes and cucurbits. The thing to keep them keep an eye on are those caterpillar pests. Um, pickle worm and melon worm are here in the low country and I think probably the upstate by now for sure. These are tropical species that come up every year. So they're here and if you, and if um and if you miss if you miss them uh, you can use uh, lose a lot of fruit to these caterpillars it just takes one to get into a into a fruit to ruin it that happened to some growers last year they just let their guard down so um and most of the caterpillar products insecticides work pretty well against these pests this year i'll be looking at some organic options as well to see how those compare uh now for people that are treating white flies in the cucurbits, a lot of those white fly products actually work well for the caterpillars too. So if you're already spraying for white flies, you'll probably incidentally manage those worms anyway. But but keep a lookout for the caterpillars, the little holes in the flower buds or holes in the fruit if they get too far along. In tomatoes, I had a question about um, a caterpillar. Caterpillars getting in the fruit. They thought it was a tomato fruit worm, also known as the corn worm. And it actually looked more like a beet armyworm. So that's a little bit different. It looks similar. It's managed mostly the same. It looks a little different in that um, the corn earworm has, it, they can be pretty variable in color, but the corn earworm, tomato fruit worm, um, that insect, that caterpillar will have uh, kind of bumps, spots going down the length of the body with a hair coming out of it. And those are black, uh, little black bumps. The beet armyworm, um, is a little bit smoother, but it does have right behind the head a black spot on the side of the body, one there, indicative of the beet army worm. So when you have caterpillars like that in tomatoes, really the, especially for the commercial folks, the best um, the best thing to go for would be the diamides, like a Corrigin or Vanta. And um, what else? Yeah, I mean, tomatoes more generally, the caterpillars, the stink bugs, the spider mites, and sometimes thrips and white flies, depending on where you are. The important thing to think about is that with stink bugs, they're tricky to manage. It's either pyrethroids or neonicotinoids. And we, you know, I discourage pyrethroids because those will cause problems with spider mites. And so for stink bugs, we tend to say venom, Actara, Admire, in that order are the better approaches. Those are a little bit softer on the natural enemies. And then the caterpillars go with like the dimides, um, the group 28, or even radiant or the BTs. And, um, and yeah, so that's kind of what I've been coming across with those. And and one other reminder, um, I always try to make sure people are aware in the Southeast Vegetable Handbook, which is online and those hard cop uh, hard copies you can get from the agents. 
in the back of the insect section is a big table that lists a whole bunch of common crop pests. And then it's got a big list of, of all these different insecticide options and it tells you which are, which are just excellent or good or not very good. And so that's a great resource to have whenever you're trying to decide what you should spray and what you might have on hand. So I highly recommend people to go to the handbook and look at that table um, to help guide them make good, uh, good decisions. That's all I got. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this morning and we appreciate your update. Uh, Dr. Brian Ward is with us too. You got a, you got an update or did you just want to say hey to us? Um, I can just say, well, I can, I can give a little bit of an update. Um, uh, most of, most of our research that was, uh, planted in the spring is expired and we've gone back in with our fall, um, our fall, our late, well, late summer crops, um, like uh, eggplant and et cetera, um, solanaceous and your late crops of watermelon. Um, well, we're maintaining a sweet potato crop right now, um, is doing well. Um, so I have a, um, a, we, we, we plan late on the Clemson side, uh, whereas the USDA had plantings, um, um, have already been harvesting, um, some early plantings. Um, Right now, we should have, I guess, uh, Justin may uh, know a little bit more about this up in his region, but um, I think we should have already um, at least one planting of, of uh, broccoli in the ground commercially right now, um, an early, an early uh, planting by now, um, at least one. Um, and we are currently uh, seeding um, some uh, late summer cover crops, and we already, already have some summer cover crops that are uh, ready for this climate smart uh, program that we're getting ready for some demo trials um, here on the station. Um, and we are also, we've completed two trainings uh, for the growers um, last week, and we have two more uh, trainings next week. One is going to be in uh, Ellery on Friday, and the other one is going to be in Greenville on Wednesday. And so those, those trainings are uh, pretty much all day trainings um, and you and the growers pretty much leave knowing what what uh, what to expect and what the uh, crop is going to look like and what the cover crop is going to look like under the three programs that are listed for that climate smart program for the uh, for the leafy greens. Um, the other commodity groups um, have already had some trainings and some are complete. And I think uh, the leafy green section is one of the last ones to complete. For the trainings um, and those are annual uh, one time a year trainings uh, that are required for that program um, other than that I think that's about it all right well we appreciate you joining in with us this morning and giving a little update and thanks again to all the agents for joining in this morning and, and sharing what's happening out in the fields and we appreciate everybody tuning in and hopefully you'll Tune in for the next episode. Thanks, everybody.